much. It's, uh, it's great to be here. I always enjoy speaking to young people across the country in campuses or conventions. In particular, I enjoy speaking to young women. So this is going to be great. I know I'm the last. Um, you know, I'm going to ask somebody. I love the water in the back. If somebody could bring it up, I might need that. Um, years and years ago, my brother Pat is a mentor of mine. He's an older brother. I have seven brothers. But uh, he's the one that went into politics, a mentor of mine. And he told me once, hey, if there's a lot of speakers, whatever you do, be number one, no more than number two. What am I, number eight today? This is not a good thing. I somehow fouled up this advice and here I am the last you guys have heard some terrific speakers already today I know some of them well and they are uh, and, and I know that you uh, thoroughly must have thoroughly enjoyed them because they're just terrific um, and now I'm the last so you're ready to go out that door <laughs> so I have to be particularly good today to make certain you can can uh, remember something I said here <coughs> I've been asked to speak about leadership and this is a favorite topic of mine um, and, and, and it's one I, no matter what I speak about, I always close on. But today I have a chance to speak about it for most of this, uh, for the entire time I have here. Um, and so the first thing I want to stress to make it, to understand why I would raise this issue, is because you have an obligation. As Americans, you have a very, very important, serious obligation to be leaders. You, you are not, you do not escape this. As an American, we have incredible blessings, incredible rights and privileges, and they need to be carried forward. And the only way we can do that is to have people who understand, appreciate, love this country, and are willing to fight for it. And that's a leader. And I don't mean elected office. I want to stress, you have a lot of people in this town who are congressmen and senators across the country, assemblymen, state senators, who are not leaders. In fact, most are not. They are followers. They follow the party leader or, or, or whomever else is giving president. If the president is in their party, they take phone calls from the president. Must have your vote on this bill. Yes, sir. What do you mean, yes, sir? Have you read the bill? Maybe you want to say, oh, excuse me, sir. I have to vote my conscience here. I'll take a look at that. Maybe we'll be on the same side once again. Maybe we won't. The leaders will do what is right. It doesn't matter. They're here in an elected office for one reason and one reason alone, to make certain they vote their conscience, to vote what they believe is best for America, not to, to stay in office, which unfortunately has risen to the top of reasons people are here. They work to stay in office. And that is when our nation has serious trouble. We have many issues today that we face, terrifically serious issues, because neither party would lead. Neither party would lead on immigration. It's not by accident we are facing this incredible crisis and have faced it for many years. It didn't just happen. It's been going on for years because neither party would step up to the plate and say, I may risk my office, but I'm going to lead on this and see if we can't move the country in a way where we can solve this problem, even if it means my taking a hit on election day. They don't do it. They let it go. Too controversial. Can't touch that one. Too controversial. Issue after issue. Too controversial. Well, what are you here for? You know, this is supposed to be work. You're not supposed to be just slipping and sliding, avoiding every issue, every major confrontation. You are to be out front. And this goes across the country. 
every one of you, has to determine who you are. What do you truly believe? What are you passionate about? What are you willing to put yourself on the line for? And, and what, what aspect of the issues we, this great country faces are you willing to start speaking up about? That's leadership. Leadership is to motivate, to influence. It, it's to uplift. It, it's to move people in a certain direction, to make them think. That's what leaders do. They don't just say or don't say what others want to hear or don't want to hear. They are willing to be who they are meant to be. True leaders speaking up, proud of those things that are in their heart. So proud and recognizing that this is who they are. And no one should be able to intimidate you or make you hesitant to speak about those things that you feel so strongly about. That's leadership. And it means being a leader in your community, in your families. It means that those with whom you work are really understand. They get to know you, they get to like you, and all of a sudden they realize, dang, she's pro-life. That's amazing. You know, they can't believe you're pro-life. Well, all of a sudden maybe they have to soften their position because you don't seem like such a bad person after all. You don't hate women. My gosh. You know, you could be pro-life and be decent. You know, this is an important concept. The key is leadership, all right? That's how we move a country. That's how you motivate individuals and build that movement to be bigger and bigger. We do it individually. And maybe one day you'll have a role where you influence more than just those you touch each day. You might be able to start influencing others because of your positions. All right, how do we do this? If this is so important, and I believe it is one of the greatest crises America faces today that we do not have true leaders. And if we don't have them, people who really fight for these beliefs, we will lose this country. I'm reading a book now on, on Benjamin Franklin, it's a phenomenal book. The guy was incredible. He was a genius. He was recognized internationally for his scientific mind and intellectual mind. Intellectuals around the world wanted to hang out with them. This guy had enormous talent and recognition and respect. And he put it all on the line, fighting for this country, making certain that we have these rights of which I just addressed, the freedom to speak, the freedom to think, to be who we are meant to be. He fought for those, put it on the line. So did our other founding fathers. And what they gave us is a great country with incredible freedoms which if we want them to remain, to be able to pass on to our children, you all have to take a step up to the back. You know, Normandy's 75th anniversary, some moving stories, just incredible stories. I, I had dinner with somebody last night who, who was 82nd, 82nd airborne, I believe it was. Um, and anyhow, he, he's out there and he's trying to find people who are at Normandy so they could take them over and celebrate at the 75th. Not many people still alive. And he found one fella he got to know. And this, this man, elderly of course now, was 16 years old, lied about his age so he could go overseas and fight for a country he loved. Now that's just amazing to know at that young age, I'm not being left behind. I'm going to be part of this fighting team for this country. And he ended up in Normandy. This, this is what we're talking about. Generations and generations of men and women before us 
have done this, have been out there, have fought really difficult battles, have put their own lives and fortune and happiness on the line to make certain this country remains strong. Now your turn. Now it's your turn. You don't get a pass. George Washington made it very clear. He said the sacred fire of liberty, the sacred fire of liberty is entrusted in the hands of the American people. He did not say the rich and famous. He did not say the elected. The, 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 he didn't say the landowners. He said the American people. That's you. He didn't say when they're 28 and already have condos and have cars and everything's good and have good jobs, then they have to stop. No. It is you. It is your turn. The question is, do you want to be a leader? Do you wish to be one of those who stands? Any opportunity you have for those things that you think are so important. I think the fact that you're here today suggests yes. So let's take it to the next step. How did I learn about leadership? How did I really get a sense of what is required of me? By working for one Ronald Reagan. I worked for him for almost 10 years. And, and I watched, and I was in my 20s when I first met him and, and started to work for him. And I have to tell you something. I, you know, I was a conservative, but you know, I was young and, and people were just, mm, the left was very, very angry and they were yelling and you call your names and my girlfriends are saying, you know, how could you possibly be, you know, with that crazy guy, you know, with the orange hair and a B actor. I mean, he's, you know, a Neanderthal, you know, what are you doing? But, but I realized, I, I might have started at times to be hesitant. I really believe in this issue, I believe in that issue, but <clears throat> maybe if I beat up a little bit, maybe I would have backed down, you know, I just, I was a little hesitant. And I saw this man who was ridiculed constantly, he was called dumb and, and, and not, not the least bit a deep thinker, go out front time and time again in the midst of all of these awful things being say, said of him, and he was proud. He was always a proud leader of the conservative movement. It didn't matter what the press or the liberals or even the minor Republicans or anyone said about him. He knew what he believed. He loved this country and he loved its people. And he knew, the understood, what made it great and as a result of that, in his willingness to stand tall in battle any way he could and, and be there for those of us who believed as he did, when he became President of the United States, it wasn't policy that united this very, very downtrodden nation, a nation that had lost its hope, who saw the future as not better, but maybe worse than even the situation they were in. How does one man get into office and lift a nation, a whole nation, left, right, center? How did they do that? Because he was a true leader of the nation. And so he spoke to the American people. And he said to them, I know the kind of work you can do. I know your greatness. You are Americans. I have seen what Americans can do when they work together. I am your president, and I can get make certain that the policies that I push will be beneficial to your businesses and your families, but I can't hire people. I can't start to let people know things are great in America. You have to do that. 
And Americans said, that's good. You're right, and I can. And they came together and began to start businesses and expand other biz existing businesses and investing. And within months of his becoming president of the United States, things started to turn around. Americans started to be smiling again and thinking, my gosh, it, it's there. It's just for my taking. It's here. This nation is back again. Opportunity will present itself, but I need to step forward and grab it. That's my job. And this nation became an excited, exciting place to live again. That he did it because of his ability to lead, to uplift, to encourage, to inspire a people. And how is it that he was able to do that? Because he didn't speak about numbers and percentages. He wasn't a policy wonk, which is the only people that our press appreciates and our national elites. They have to be smart, you have to be really smart. He didn't care if he wasn't considered smart. He was trying to touch people. He was willing to give of himself. He spoke from his heart, not from his mind. And he would tell stories that were ridiculed by the press as silly, but the press wasn't looking in the eyes of the people to whom he was speaking. They were moved, they were encouraged, they were inspired. They cried with him, they laughed with him, and they went home and told family and friends and workers, you've got to listen to this guy. He is phenomenal. He's the real thing. He can bring us together. He can make us great again. And he did, because the American people responded to his call to action. That's a leader. So, I watched him year after year, steady, always steady, always confident in the direction he wanted to take this country. He always said the same thing. He didn't back off when people were on time. There was no hesitancy in this man when he was speaking from his heart about this great country. So, that's a long ways for you to go. It's hard to think, but I'm not Ronald Reagan, nope. Actually, none of us are. All right, there's not a lot of Ronald Reagans out there. But you can be a leader, every one of you. You can be the leader, and I'm here to tell you how. The first thing is you have to want to be, because it's hard work. It is hard work. You're going to end up in position and situations which you wish you would never put yourself in, and you're going to really seriously consider hightailing it out of this direction, out of this path. And you can't. You have to keep going back. Here's what you have to do. First, you have to know what you believe. Not what I believe. Not with your parents, teachers, friends, no. What do you believe? Pick an issue. Pick an issue. You don't have to pick ten. Pick an issue or two. And start looking into them a little deeper than you know now. And start to realize the importance of it. I'm going to give you an example. It doesn't have to be life. Anyone here that's pro-choice? It's absolutely fine. This, I'm basically saying, how do you determine an issue which you can build up the confidence in, within you to know that you firmly believe this is the best direction for the, this nation, for your friends, whatever. And once you get there, you will have passion. Passion is key. Passion comes from the heart. So, you pick an issue. I always pick pro-life because I'm so passionate about it and never ever want to miss an opportunity to speak about it. So, let's pick life. You say you're pro-life? one thing to talk to me, I'm pro-life, we can pat each other on the back. That is not leadership. 
Leadership is when you say to me, I'm pro-life, and I say, who's the last pro-choice person you talked to about this? You have to start talking to the other side, because then they're going to give you their best lines. You go and talk to a college roommate or a friend, and they're going to say, say to them anything. So, I overheard you. You're pro-choice, right? How can you possibly be pro-choice when every time a child's, it's, it's a child's life is taken? Every time. And, and they're going to hit you with, oh, you're going to tell me you're for forcing a 14-year-old rape by her dad to have the uh, baby? Is that you, that's your position? And you are going to be stunned because you're going to think, well, I don't know if that's my position. You know, you have to think of these issues. They are not without good arguments. So you have to consider the arguments of anyone on the other side. Whenever I used to be called, for instance, CNN called and said, I'm going to do a debate on guns. I know where I stand on guns, but it didn't mean I didn't spend several hours trying to figure out, is there anything current? What are the other side saying? What's their best arguments now? So that I would not be surprised. You need to talk to people on the other side. And also, how are you going to influence anyone if you're not talking to people on the other side? The rest of us are all pro-life. So, you find out and they hit you with this, you need to go back. You need to walk back and say to some pro-life friends, okay, okay, i got to walk this one through. i got to talk to you. How do, what, do you believe in exceptions or not? If you ask me, I'll say no. No exceptions because I believe it's a child. And it means it's a child every single episode. Every single one of them is a child. I can't pick and choose which children live and which children die. That's my position. A very another very legitimate position is exceptions for rape and incest and that's because the poor woman had absolutely nothing to do with this situation and here she is faced with a pregnancy that was not of her doing so should she be given an exception that is a very reasonable position and I suspect that if any laws get passed in this country uh, that start to restrict abortion and are upheld they will always have that exception. If I were a governor and a bill came to me and used those exceptions, I don't agree with the exceptions, watch how fast I sign the bill. So, so you've got to come to grips with what it is you believe. Then you have to go back. You have to go back and say, you know, that's a good one. That's a tough one. I don't believe in exceptions. I can understand why you would. Let me ask you one. How about, a, how about viability? Live outside the womb. Four and a half, five months. You believe a baby should be aborted that can live outside the womb, not dependent on the mother for its life? You, you know, you've got to start the dialogue here. Go back, go forth, to see what is it you believe. All right? Now, the other day I was speaking to uh, some executive MBAs uh, for a university that was in town. I was debating a, a Democrat. And this one young lady stood up. And she said, you know, I think most of the people in this room, they were business majors, want moderation. We hear extreme left, extreme right on issue after issue. We want moderation. She says, for instance, I am very much conservative on economic issues, but I'm a social liberal. And there's so much contention now with the social issues. Shouldn't the Republican Party just put them aside? And I said to her, you know, she indicated also she was gay and was married um, uh, to a woman that she loved. And I said, all right, how about if I tell you to put aside your passion for gay marriage? Let's put that off the table. I said, that would show utmost disrespect for you. 
You believe this. You're passionate about it. You want something you want to fight for. I have no respect for you if I should suggest to you to push it off the table. And you can't do the same to me. You can't say to me, hey, take your pro-life position and dump it. It'll make us all happier. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is what I believe. I think this is very important. I'm going to fight for it. But why shouldn't you respect the fact that, that I have a different position? We can respect each other. If you want to bring this country together, if you all want to start to really develop strong relationships where you can influence people, you have to respect the fact that they differ, and they have to respect the fact that you don't agree with them all the time. As I explained to her, I've done many a battle with some other conservative economic people, in fact, some liberals, to beat NAFTA or to beat some other programs out there because I don't agree with Republicans in a lot of issues, and you coalesce with those with whom you do battle. And I said, I, you know, I'd love to, to, to battle with you on tax cuts. Why can't we do that? Come together, be friends, laugh, talk. I know where you stand. You know where I stand on some issues that we don't agree on. Who cares? But I do expect respect. And I don't think it's respectful to ask me to toss things that I feel passionate about off the table any more than I should ask you. She came up to me afterwards, gave me a hug, and said that I've influenced her more than any person ever, and I, she so appreciates it. She had a lot of other things I could repeat here, but I think that's enough. The, she was so pleased to hear a specific answer and not some mumbly, just listen, just listen. This is who I am. You know me, you like me, this is who I am. You can't ask me to be quiet about those things I think are important. I am an American. I have all the rights and privileges to not only think things, important things, about issues, I have a right to speak about them and let others know what means so much to me, what's in my heart. That's leadership. You've got to get yourself from just believing your pro-life to where you are just proud, as you can be, as Ronald Reagan was on issue after issue, proud to stand up and be a conservative. You pro-lifers need to be proud to stand up and be pro-life. You cannot save babies if you can't talk about it. You can be a leader if you open the mouth, but you have to speak from your heart about those things that are important. That is where we've lost our way. Too many issues we are told are too controversial. By parties, by leaders, by teachers, we can't touch them. Don't allow anyone to define what you can think and what you can say and how you can say it. So, you have the issue, you've talked to some people, you've been beaten up a little bit, telling a couple people you're pro-life, your roommate doesn't talk to you anymore, it's all okay, so what? So what? All right, people died fighting for these things. You can't take a little ridicule? Then you'll never be a daggone leader. So now you start thinking, okay, this is my issue. And again, it could be pro-choice. It could be pro-guns. Whatever it is, you're just starting with this issue. You want, you've now learned about abortion. You've learned about the sufferings of people who've had abortions. You've gotten a little more information. You feel more passionate, soon you're going to recognize, if you study this issue, that it is never a good idea to abort your child. Never. There are too many consequences out there. All right? So once you come to that conclusion, then you know you want to fight for that unborn. And again, maybe you have a girlfriend in New York. The number one issue is 
abortion. Choice. She's a fine. She and I, well, that's what she's passionate about. Right? You find out the issue, you find out what's important, and as I say for the issue is life, I say you go into a classroom after classroom or or work in the workforce, wherever you are, and you say, How am I going to make certain everyone knows this issue is so important? You wait for that moment. Kavanaugh is appointed. You know the issue's coming up. Pro-life march. It's headed. Anything Trump says every other day, he's enormously pro-life. You wait for the moment. And then, group now is 30, maybe it's a math class, and you sit there and you say, somebody comes in and says something about Planned Parenthood or closing the Planned Parenthood abortion centers, whatever, Georgia, the bill there, and you say, okay. You say, I just want you to know that I don't understand how you can be so passionate about a policy that takes the life of children every single day by the thousands. That's probably too many words. Cut, because you're not going to have a lot of time. You come up with a little succinct statement so everybody in that room knows that not only are you pro-life, you are proud to be pro-life, and you fervently believe in that child. This is the issue. You have to get passion behind the issue. Then you aren't afraid of taking the hit because it's so important to you. It's not about you. It's about you moving this issue along, being part of the movement, of building it, of establishing yourself, influencing others. You don't know who's in that room that may not have thought about it ever and thinks, I have never heard anybody say this in my life. That's a pretty cool girl or guy, whatever it be, but whoa, that was passionate. You put a thought in their head two years from now, three years from now, you don't know you can save a life because you are willing to speak up. That's leadership. It's speaking when everybody turns and looks at you like you are just as anti-woman and outrageous neathon conservative imaginable. And how did you get in to our group? They may indeed ban you from ever being present. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you are being the person you're meant to be. You're strengthened by that. Whenever I felt out there that I was like ready to give it up, like this is one step too far, I'm having my head beat in, I think then I'm not ready. I need to come back again and again and again because then I will not be intimidated. We are Americans. Issue after issue, we are being told what we can say, how we can say it, and what we can't touch. We are not leaders when we accept someone else instructing us on how to speak and what to say. It is time you found out what you believe, what is important. And just as that brave young lady stood up in front of me and said, whoa, why don't you throw pro-life over? You know, I'm gay and it's, I'm, you know, we're tired of all this. She was, she wants to speak up and she knows and understood, so do I. But we should be friends. This is how I could influence her, by being certain about what I believe. You need to be the people, the young women you're meant to be. You need to be strong. You need to be courageous. You need to have such firm understanding of who you are and what is important to you, more important than yourselves, something bigger, some cause. And then you have to join it and you have to fight for it. And you go from there. That's being an American, that is being a leader that the nation so needs across the board. So I challenge each and every one of you, time to be 
the outspoken people, the absolute certain individuals who will boldly stand up for your beliefs because you are Americans and George Washington had it right. Without your leadership, wherever you go, and many, many more like you, we could very easily lose that sacred fire of liberty. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. I think I have time for questions. Hi, Angela. Um, thank you for coming. Please um, call me Bay. <laughs> my father's the only person who ever called me Angela. <laughs> um, oh, no, I was saying my name's Angela. Oh, you're Angela. I'm Angela. Oh, my gosh. I am, too. That's amazing. <laughs> okay. Um, sorry. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Um, so one of my favorite quotes has always been by Ronald Reagan, um, and it starts, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. Um, I'd just like to get your take on your advice for us in a generation. Conferences like these are really affirming for conservatives, but going back, we know that uh, ideologies like socialism are being viewed really favorably uh, by our generation. So what's your advice um, engaging with people? Uh, um, I, you know, I really feel strongly there's too much name calling in this country. And, and because I'm just a socialist and they're anti-American, they obviously don't have any respect for our founding fathers. And in truth, many of them don't. But I think we have to, uh, as individuals, you have to firm up why do you believe socialism is not good, all right? So you have to have a, some kind of a way to respond to them and not be afraid of it and, and see where are they coming from. I mean, I heard this morning that some of the, some of the Democrats and certainly the, many in the Democratic Party, they, they think the founding fathers made a huge mistake. I mean, the, we, we, the mistake started with the founding fathers and has gone forward ever since. Um, well, that's kind of hard to figure out how we're going to deal with them. But I think what you have to do is first really gain a full appreciation of those father, founding fathers and the principles. Have a full uh, sense of how that has worked for all these years and, and has made us great and kept us great. Those principles. All right? So have some some language on that, have some passion about that. Have just a few examples, not that you have to be able to write a book on it, but just so you can, when speaking to them, be able to refer to an anecdote or, or a quote or a comment uh, on, on one of the founding fathers and say, how can, you know, how can you dismiss this? How about this 16-year-old who could volunteer you know, and lie to go and fight for his country? Is there something was wrong with this? I mean, where is that love from? I mean, enormous power. Look at Ronald Reagan. All he did for this country was, uh, you know, a full capitalist. You know, he, he fought for American workers, American people. And, and look what happened. We became great economic power again. So those kind of things. So, but you can, and, and, but don't be threatened because they're just going to call you names. And when you're called names, I often find, don't react. Don't react like, how can you call me names? Of course not, you know. I've been called racist so much now I answer to it. And I think that's the best way, you know what? What? Okay, well, listen, what did you want? What's the question here? And I want to say to them, okay, you think that's where I'm coming from, but I'd be glad to give you three good arguments for my position, which will indicate absolutely no hatred in my heart for anybody. What are your three good points? 
You know, let's let's have a dialogue. Let's talk. I respect that you believe socialism is good. That's fine. You can disagree with me. This is what makes this nation great. Why do you think socialism, when it has never succeeded anywhere ever, would be a good policy to assume now in this great country, which is thriving? You want to, you know, want me to do a little video on Venezuela and see how it works there? I mean, maybe I'm being a little too flippant, but. How do we engage them? You have to engage them. You have to become, you know, friends, laugh. And, and so that they can see that you are a strong person that they respect. All right, you never back up. Never, ever hesitate. You say, no, I think you're absolutely wrong. But you can say that to people just like I told that girl. You are absolutely wrong. Why should I give up my views? But engage them because then you can influence. You cannot influence when the left's over there and the right's over there and we're firing questions, firing names at each other. It can't work. And so you go through college campuses completely separated, people don't want to talk to you. No, engage them, you know, and say, hey, hey, you lost around. See that judge we got? One more for us, you know? And they be so mad and then you just kind of laugh and say, come on, come on, you know? We're gonna lose a few too, you know what I mean? It's not easy at your age because it's so easy. You want to be friends. You don't want people calling you names. This is natural. But we are at a time in our life where if you wish to stand up and be a true leader and have these views and want to express them, you are going to end up in some difficult circumstances. All right? And you have to be willing to do it. And the only way I know for you to make certain you are ready is to take the hit be called the names and go back for some more and then call you racist again or anything else and keep going and going pretty soon, you'll be like me. Uh, huh? Yeah, Nazi? Yeah, right. Okay, let's go back to the, you know, I mean, they just call names. That's all they do. They are empty and void. And if you can get through to them, you can influence them. Great question. Thanks very much. My name is Sarah and I'm from California. Uh, and my question for you uh, is I that solve California. <laughs> <laughs> um, is that uh, of course you, your political career started when you were pretty young? So what do you think are some tips that you would have for people in our age group that are looking to um, develop political careers or just influence social change in some way? Uh, what are the things that you think helped you be successful? Excellent. Um, first of all, let me repeat. To be a leader does not mean elected office or, or politics. You are a leader in your family and how you raise your children and how willingness you are to be frank with them in your communities. You're uh, definitely a leader in workforce and be a leader on campus. But your question is, is uh, one I'm delighted to answer. Number one, I, my first, um, first job in politics, I was a graduate school. And my brother suggested I take a leave of absence and work for Nixon. And that was a year of Watergate. So I was on that as an intern or, you know, just a uh, staffer for six months. And I went into that office, and in the first two days, I was getting a graduate degree uh, from McGill in math. And, and, and in two days' time, I said, oh my gosh, this is exciting. Go in, and they're all talking policy, they're talking front page, the papers. Did you see Governor so-and-so? Can you believe he made that statement? I, I, and you're just like, what, what, what? And, and you just, all of a sudden, there's this, there's electricity. There's a lot of young people. No one's paid a lot. They're just out there working on long hours. And I thought, this is the most exciting thing I had ever done. 
And after six months of that, I, I went to my brother and I said, how do I stay in this business? How do I stay? And he said, find a candidate that you believe in. Don't worry about whether he's going to win or lose. You find somebody who shares your views, who represents you on most of the issues, somebody you can believe and work long hours. Then you become part of a cause. You work for this person. They may disappoint you, but you pick somebody that you thought was a good person and you work day and night for them. You will never, ever regret, especially as young people who don't have all of the, the obligations of somebody in their 30s with family and all, you will never, ever regret the time you spend on a campaign. It's long hours and it is great camaraderie and it's common cause and, and you come to a big old debate or something like that and you're just sitting there, all of you, cheering your man on. It's as good as anything. And that's what inspired me. I got involved and I said, issues is, is my future, causes. I've been a cause person ever since. So my recommendation is get experience. Don't hesitate. How do you get a job? You don't wait for someone to call you on the phone. You show up at the office and say, I have every intention of working for Mary Jo. Okay? Now, where's the campaign manager? Who's running this office? I will volunteer till you hire me. You know, I mean, be, I, I sent my son, he wanted to work for Rand Paul. I said, don't wait any, go to New Hampshire. He was there a week before he announced. As soon as he announced, he's at the office for a month. He wired the office, fixed up for computers, put in phones. He did all kinds of crazy things. And he worked for uh, Rand Paul for, for nine months of that primary. You, you, when campaigns get started, they're completely chaotic. Nobody knows what anyone's doing. People just are, it, it's, if you just sit down at the phone and start answering it, they're going to think you are the best, most incredible worker they've ever seen. All you're doing is taking messages, you know? It's okay. They need someone to do it. Do everything. Do everything, be helpful, and, and you will start meeting people that will recognize how good you are and how willing you are to be part of the team. And that's what, and even if you just end up working as a volunteer, which I know most of you probably cannot do, so you have to tell them, you need to give me minimum wage here, guys, come on. You know, but they once say, no, you're good. And that's how to do it. I wouldn't hesitate, Camp campaigns are much more exciting than somebody's office on the hill, where you answer letters and phones and then six months later someone else is entering letters and entering phones and you're looking for a job you know that's my experience <laughs> I hope that answered your question yes thank Hi, my name is Renee. I go to Biola University, mm -hmm. and I just really appreciate your talk and your conviction. I am going to be a leader in my student government next year, Excellent. and Excellent. I really want to model that kind of conviction because social issues come up a lot in our decision making. And I guess one question I have for you is I have heard in the past people say they appreciate me bringing up my position on things, but I also am always thinking in my head wanting to walk that line of um, being wise about the moment and uh, what battles to fight when and where, whether things should be said in a group setting or a one-on-one -on -one setting. So I wondered if you had any insights um, on that. You, you're going to have to use your own instincts sometimes. Um, you, you know, you don't want to just drop it on people who are having a game. You know, you're all talking about the football game last night, and there's this person over here who wants to talk about abortion. You know, what in the world is this girl doing? You know, I mean, you got to figure it out. And that's why I say if the issue comes up, in your classroom. It doesn't matter if it's math class. If an issue of guns, whatever it is you're passionate about, is raised, then you got your one, you got a, a 15, 20 second hit. 
that is as tough as you can be, you know? So it says you're absolute, you're bold. Because people will respect that. They'll be like, whoa, where did that come from, you know? And, and it sits with people. And they, you know, they might come out afterwards and ask for a clarification. They might not. But you put the thought, every child, it's every time it's a child. They are children, you know? You put that in their heads. The woman's the second victim every time. And, um, and, and, that's, and sometimes that's all you can do. But you never, you sit there and you'll feel it. You'll feel that it's the right time. And, and, and they might turn on you and then you know that it wasn't all failed. They, their, their backs are up. They've got somebody in opposition. This is unacceptable. Well, no, you keep coming back. You know what I mean? So that they know there is an alternative. I'll tell you a quick story. I was up in Bryn Mawr uh, many years ago now, probably about 10 years ago. And Bryn Mawr is very, very liberal. At the time, whenever it was I was there, it was still all women. And and it's very liberal. I went to school nearby, so I knew. And I, I came in, and there was a big room. must have been two, 250 girls there, young women there. And they just beat the heck out of me. I would make this, and I, I talked about the failures of feminism. There might have been two women in that room that agreed with me. That was it, you know. And they just rolling their eyes and giggling and laughing. And I just sat up there and kept hitting it and hitting it and hitting it, you know, and how terrible feminism results would have been for American women. And I got a note, an email a couple of years back, that said we were in that group. And we went back to our rooms, out my roommate and best friend, and we laughed about these crazy things you said, and we made fun of you all night. Now I want to tell you something. We met recently, and we realized you were right. Now, how would they know I was right if I hadn't been willing to go on campus and stand up for our beliefs and just let them know there is another side, guys. You might just think I'm far, you know, on an alternate planet, but uh-uh, it's this planet, and this is real. And they became mothers, and they had kids, and they started thinking, you know, she was right. And that's because I dropped the seed. You need to drop seeds. That's what leaders do. You're not going to make the case you convert people every day. You're going to keep dropping seeds about how positive it is to, to be pro-life, how children are wonderful, how, how you know, even those who are not wanted become the, the center of people's lives, you know? You come up with anecdotes. If it's guns, you talk about them when something happens. And you, you're free to speak. Yes, I do believe we should be able to protect ourselves. You make the case constantly in spite of the opposition. And even when you feel bad, you know that when you feel bad, you say, okay, I obviously wasn't ready. That hurt me, you know, to have them say that about me. It hurt me. Okay, let's go back a couple more times. Get a couple more hits. Pretty soon it doesn't hurt anymore. And then you can relax and smile and say, oh, come on. You know, or, or whatever your humor is. To kind of diffuse it. And then all of a sudden they're laughing with you. And they call across campus. You got a gun on you? You know, I mean, you, you make it life. But all, they respect you. They get to know you. They think, hey, you know, there's a couple people with pro-gun. You know, she's a little crazy, but you know, I mean, you know, I mean, this is how we are supposed to be. Donna Brazil. Years I debated Donna Brazil. She's on TV now. She used to be Democratic chairman, and um, very close to Hillary, you might add. And uh, and we debated for in right next to each other, three, two, three times a week. And people used to say as I travel across the country, how can you stand just being next to her? You know, she's swept and just terrible. I said, wait a minute, she's my friend. Just relax here, you know? She's a great lady. She's a great person. We just disagree on everything. She's wrong, I'm right. How do you, how do you work with this? <laughs> Thanks for that question.
You think I have time for another one? Good, good. Because I'm making these answers way too long. My name is Mary Pat Peterson, and I'm also from California. And my question's a little bit more personal. Alrighty. Um, I was wondering where you find your strength and conviction after all these years of facing just outstanding opposition. Where is it you find that? Um, that's why the first thing I said to you is find out what you believe because you can't otherwise. You can't take it otherwise. You have to firmly believe this is the best direction for the country. This is the best direction for women. This is the best direction for you know the unborn. I mean, whatever issue it is, you have to become convinced. You become convinced and build the passion when you debate, when you challenge other people, because they're going to make statements and you're going to think, that is a really good point. You know, I have to think about this. I never heard that argument. You're going to maybe change your position. You have to learn who you are. What are the issues important to you? Once you gain that, then you end up with the strength, the courage of your convictions. Not just convictions, but the courage. And I can tell you, I have debated issue after issue, and I've switched on some. I'm not a free trader. I saw firsthand what free trade did American workers, American families, and I could not support it. I am a fair trader. And, and so these are issues that I learned, I studied, and I thought absolutely free trade, best thing. And then as I got to know and saw people losing their jobs because of it, I said, stop, this can't be good for America. And, and I developed, you know? You could change, then you better keep an open mind and respect people who disagree. But how do you get the strength? You get the strength from the conviction you're right, that I have studied this. I know without issue that any woman who ever approached me who's pregnant, I know that without question, the best thing is that she has that child. There is no hesitation. I don't care the circumstances. And I would stand by her. I would never, ever suggest that you know there's she's done anything wrong and she didn't have she aborted the child i'm not here to, to to tell people that you know the sins they've committed if you like that's not my my job is not to judge but if there's any way and bring them into my house to live so they're comfortable and know that they have somebody fighting for them i would do it to save the child and for her sake and that's because i'm so certain I've met, I've met women who've had abortions. I've seen the tragedy. I've seen the heartbreak. I've seen the, the scars they've lived with. I just wouldn't want any other person to ever live with that. You see what I mean? And so then, when you're that confident, why was Ronald Reagan able to put up with that? Why, when he became president, was he able to stand up to the continual ridicule? It's because he was certain America could turn around if he could reach the people. Get what they were saying about Can I reach the people, inspire, uplift them? I know they're good for it. I know they're amazing. I know they can do this. I can't. I can just inspire them and send them the positive messages. And he did that. And you can do it with friends. You can do it with colleagues. You can do it by your own example. But if you don't stand up, if once you get hit, you start hesitating, you're not a leader. You're just one of them. And so that's, that's where I get it. My strength comes from my conviction that I'm certain these issues which I reviewed are that the direction I believe that they should be, in which they should be resolved, and I am certain about it. And I'm willing to stand up if somebody disagrees, and I'm willing to work something out in the middle if it's not on life, because I cannot compromise on life. Thank you all very, very much, and good luck to all of you.